Yaakov Katz has returned. We let him take a week off, and so many of you reached out to me asking if everything was okay. And we both appreciate your concern. Not only is he in fine fettle, but he starts us off today with a brief and interesting report on his short trip to London. After that diversion, we get back to the hard slogging, the meaning of the first ruling of the International Court of Justice in the case brought against Israel by South Africa, accusing Israel of committing genocide in the Gaza Strip. We wrap that up and move on to the implications of the exposure of UNRWA for being an organization rife with corruption. On the heels of the news that many of its teachers participated directly in the October 7th genocide, and that thousands of UNRWA teachers and employees are members of an open telegram group in which they glorify the savagery of the Hamas attack. We wrap up today with the increasingly desperate hostage situation, which seems now to be linked to a two-state solution in the latest peace plan being floated by the United States. A lot, I know, but this is how we roll in the land of milk and honey. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and now residing in the heart of magnificent state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Sunday, January 28th. How time flies. Good morning, Yaakov. Good morning, Vivian. And welcome back. You were just telling me you were, we missed you last week, by the way. Our listeners missed you. I missed you. And you were off frolicking in London, I hear. What a nice city. First of all, it's just good to get away for a bit during yep. the war. But I went for some meetings, media, visited parliament, had some meetings there. And mostly I was invited to attend a CFI, Conservative Friends for Israel annual luncheon, where they really, it's, I guess the best equivalent to our, for our listeners would be like the APAC of the UK to an extent. And they really have a powerful punch. Got the prime minister, all the cabinet ministers, parliamentarians. And just powerful listening to how people speak and how much this current government in the UK is aligned and supportive of Israel. And that's impressive. Yeah, no one can string together a sentence like the Brits. There's no question. It's just no. they are taught well and they really respect and understand English language. I'm assuming then that Rishi Sunak and David Cameron were there and that yes. they spoke and Rishi Sunak gave a great speech and we came out against the people calling for like free Palestine from the river to the sea as called them useful idiots that made a headline, was supportive, of course, of Israel's right to act in self-defense and to defeat Hamas and how Hamas needs to be removed. And threw in there, of course, as long as it abides by international humanitarian law and that's the way they got to go. So we get that. But overall, it's I don't think you can take any of this for granted. And, and you and I are old enough to know how there were other governments in the UK that sang a very different tune not that long ago. So exactly. this, is, this is impressive. That's excellent. Welcome back and here just in time to enjoy Shabbat with your family and come back to the state of Tel Aviv for our Sunday check-in. And we got a lot to check in. That's why today. I came back. So I could be back for this for Sunday. I know. I know. I could <laughs> feel it. We had a as usual, a very busy, crazy week, and it really crescendoed on Friday when the International Court of Justice, of course, released its initial ruling, reasonings. They're not really orders yet. In the case that South Africa has brought against Israel, where, of course, South Africa accuses Israel of committing genocide in the Gaza Strip. 
And there were many possible outcomes that we were a little trepidatious of hearing from this interim ruling. And it turned out not to be so bad. So we had, on the one hand, we had the International Court of Justice ruling, and then we had this wild drop of data and information and evidence that had been shared by Israel with the UN and other bodies that demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt that a significant number of UNRWA employees were actively participating in the violence and savagery of October 7th. Both these events, the release of the ICJ ruling and the exposure of UNRWA for being the farce that it is, and that's me saying it, take me to court, UN. Both of these matters were exposed on the Friday, which is what we call in Israel Erev, you know, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which there's something kind of eerie and poetic at the same time about the timing. So we had this convergence, this sort of Friday was a big day. Yaakov, I'd like you to start with the ICJ ruling, what the court said in your view and what it means in practical terms for Israel and for Hamas. Let me just echo what you just said, Vivian, because I think that it's what what happened on Friday is this really perfect example of how life in this country and for the Jewish people sometimes is so intersectional or I don't know the right term, but like I hate that word. Yeah, but everything crosses over one another. Convergence. Convergence. That's a better word. Thank you. Everything converges. You have we're in the middle of a war that was sparked by the greatest atrocity against the Jewish people since the Holocaust. We're still fighting to eliminate a terrorist group that has vowed to seek our elimination. We, the the victims of genocide, are brought to the International Court of Justice on charges of genocide. We are acquitted of those charges, so-called acquitted, but we're not charged necessarily. We're not given an order to stop the war on Friday, on the eve of the International Holocaust Remembrance Everything converges at once. So really, it's I always look at this and it's just it, these there's so many countless examples in the history of our people where this all happens. So that's just interesting. And you said it very well. Just About, another day in Israel. Just another just day. Another, in Israel. Exactly. <laughs> the ICJ ruling is, I would say, there's the big win and then there's the concerning loss. The big win is that the ICJ did not order Israel to start have a ceasefire. Right. It didn't order to end the war. That was what Israel was mostly concerned about. Not that it would have ended the war as a result of an ICG ruling, but that would have put Israel in the penalty box. It would have been very bad. It would have looked bad. Already it looks bad. That would have made it look much worse. That didn't happen. Thank God. However, there are other rulings that the court made. For example, Israel needs to give an update about the charges that it's going to be bringing or the investigation against politicians who have called for genocide. We've had a number of right-wing members of this government have called to maybe use nuclear weapons against Gaza, to, to eliminate the Palestinians like they were the Amalek from the Bible, and different comments along those lines. Some of them are already being looked into by the attorney general, put that aside. But Israel also has to give a report within a month to the ICJ about what it's doing with regards to those comments and those investigations, as well as what it's doing about safeguarding the civilian population of Gaza. Now, what that ultimately does, from my understanding, is it leaves open the door for that a month from now, the ICJ could again decide to change some of its rulings, right? That Yeah, it, I have to jump in. I think there's a little more. Then Israel makes a submission in a month, then South Africa gets to respond. This is a procedure that can go on. It can drag on for a while. Yeah. Which leads some people to think, 
from talking to some people in government, less in the IDF, I would say, but more in the government, that this is just another sign of how the window is narrowing and we're, we got to start winding things down. I think we already know that. And by the way, this comes at a time of where there's renewed talk of another hostage prisoner swap and release, which would anyhow see a two-month ceasefire. So basically, I think what we were going at is a further winding down of the ground offensive inside the Gaza Strip. Some of it because a lot of the objectives have been met. Some of it because of the ICJ. Some of it because there might be a hostage swap. All together, again, convergence of a lot of different things bring us towards this point. And it is interesting that there was a real range of possibilities that the court might have come out with. And what they did, what I thought they would do, and all my North American listeners out there, you'll like this one, they ragged the puck. They effectively ragged the puck. They didn't go further than they had to go to right. show that they were taking the issue seriously. They didn't dismiss anything outright. It was like, yeah, we have some serious issues before us. Everything meets the legal threshold, which is not that difficult to meet. And so we will continue to entertain further hearings on the topic, but we're not making any big, bold decisions today. But Israel, yes, you have to come to the principal's office in a month and give us a report on everything your bad people are saying and doing and how you're going to minimize the civilian casualties to be ensure, of course, that you're engaging in this ground offensive and, and all aspects of the war in a manner that doesn't violate the Genocide Convention Act. Again, no correlative responsibility imposed upon Hamas or asked of Hamas. The court, however, interestingly did one thing that it does not have the jurisdiction to do, nor was it asked to do in this case. And the court ordered the immediate, ordered me not with the right words in this, but it's stated very strongly as if an order. The court stated that Hamas must immediately and unconditionally release all hostages. They did not distinguish between soldiers or combatants. Right. Release them all immediately and unconditionally. Now, of course, Hamas is not going to do that, but I thought it was interesting that the court made a point of making that very strong, unequivocal statement. What about you? No, I thought that was important. I think, again, overall, Israel, and look, being taken, being dragged, so-called, to the ICJ or to The Hague is not a pleasant right. experience, right? And I think that we have a big uphill battle, and, and Israel is facing a lawfare on the one hand, diplomatic isolation potentially on the other hand. But overall, Vivian, and I wonder what you think about this, I think overall in the big picture, and you see this also in polling in, in North America and other, and also places in Europe, people support us and they support the fact that Israel and Israel's main objective of eliminating Hamas, whatever that means for a moment, but they don't support the rising death toll in Gaza. They think maybe we should be doing more to spare the toll on the civilians. Okay, put that, that's an important detail, but the big picture the world, I think, for the most part, understands what we're facing or to some extent and understands that we have to win here. So we tend to look at the half cup empty as opposed to the half cup full. But I think that there is it's not we're not all alone and it's not the end of the world here for Israel, as some people want to make it out to be. I would agree with that. And I think that in the days following um, the initial hearing when Germany stood up, and Germany has been extraordinary in its support yeah. of Israel throughout, and said that they will be seeking standing uh, in support of Israel, and uh, several other countries have followed suit. That's significant. 
So if you look at who's standing behind South Africa and who supports their application, primarily Iran and everything that goes with that, including the money. And then on the other side, you have Israel and you have key Western powers behind Israel. I think that that's also extremely significant. And then that you have the same day, the way it turned out this week, you have this reveal of UNRWA. It's worse than corruption. UNRWA basically has its employees in the battlefield, raping, murdering, mutilating, burning alive, taking hostages, participating in the full glory, in their words, of October 7th. And then I guess the next day, heading back to the classroom to instruct the children in math and, and literature and all kinds of other subjects. We know that those 12 are a tip of an iceberg. Yeah. We know that Hillel Neuer, shout out to Hillel Neuer, great Canadian from Montreal who runs UN Watch and has done tremendous work exposing UNRWA hypocrisy and UN hypocrisy over the years. But last week, I believe it was UN Watch, Hillel Neuer, it was 10 days ago, almost two weeks. They exposed a list, a telegram list of 7,000 UNRWA employees that at one point used to talk about the salaries and where to buy good bread and all that kind of thing. The tenor of the channel had changed in the last few months to being just a glorification of October 7th and the continuing battle. The fact that those two came together does not help Hamas in any way. And even if you don't like Israel or support Israel, you have to look at something like that and say, something is very sick in this sort of human rights, international humanitarian community that supports Hamas. Mm -hmm. This is not cool. What do you think? Look, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Work Agency, has long been this cesspool of incitement against Israel, right? Yes, they are the ones who are tasked by the world or by the United Nations with uh, humanitarian aid being brought into, brought into Gaza for years. But their whole existence, by the way, and I think this is also important for our listeners, their whole existence is, is, is strange and is corrupt, right? There, there is a United Nations High Commission for Refugees. Every other people who have suffered as refugees and displaced people in the world are, are their mandate or the, their responsibility is by, is by the High Commissioner for Refugees. For the Palestinians, they got UNRWA. And not only that, do they have their own agency, UNRWA, the refugee status of a Palestinian is passed on from generation to generation. So they perpetuate a refugee status. My grandparents were refugees after the Holocaust, right? Apropos yesterday, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. They came from Poland to the United States. I was born in the U.S. I'm not a refugee. My, my mom, their daughter, was not a refugee. <laughs> but the, if, if it was Palestinian, we'd all still be refugees. And that whole concept was to continue and perpetuate the status to be able to constantly attack Israel with this issue. So long been a problem for Israel, almost an enemy and an adversary of the state of Israel. What happened on Friday with the revelation of these workers who were active Hamas members and participated in the October 7th atrocities and massacre is, is interesting. It's not surprising. They have been part and parcel of what's been going on in Gaza for decades. They are the teachers and the people who are inciting the children of Gaza to kill and murder Israelis. They are the ones who are running UNRWA workers. We have documentation for years, Vivian of UNRWA workers running summer camps and teaching in schools about the elimination of the state of Israel. So now we finally saw that they picked up a gun and shot it in Israeli. They've basically been doing that for the last 40 years, 50 years. It's it, it, Thank God that the world now 
recognizes a bit of it. We've seen a number of countries, the U.S., Canada, by the way. Australia, <laughs> Finland, Germany. Tip, tip, tip our hat to Trudeau for once. No, we can't do it. No, can't do it because, sorry, because you know what? For eight years, he's continued to increase and increase the funding. And if he's doing his temporary suspension, suspension of payments yeah. of the additional amounts only, uh -huh. Uh -huh. not the base amount, okay. he's going to quietly slip it back in, give him a week. This okay, is not so a principle. forget about Trudeau, but you got Finland, you got the Australians, you got Germany, you got Israel, uh, sorry, the United States, which is the greatest, the largest funder of yeah. 300 plus million dollars. Everybody's suspending. UNRWA's launched an investigation. We've unmasked them for now. And the Secretary General is shocked and horrified. Shocked, yeah, really. Yeah, Real shocked I know. And Here, the guy who said that October 7th didn't happen in a vacuum. Here's the thing, really, at the end of the day, it's nice what happened. Good that they should be unsettled. However, if this ends and things just go back to UNRWA again being what it was, then we didn't really achieve much. There needs to be a new system for the Gaza Strip. In other words, this comes back to something you and I have spoken about a number of times here. October 7th needs to be more than just another war, another operation. It has to be something that we say what was can no longer be. That applies to Hamas. That applies to Israeli policy vis-a-vis -vis Hamas in Gaza. That applies to the way we are internally in our society, but that also applies to the way the international community deals with the Palestinians of the Gaza Strip. UNRWA needs to be dismantled and a new mechanism needs to be put in place. And this is an opportunity to make that happen. I totally agree with that, but I feel because people in the know in the foreign policy community and the diplomatic communities have been aware for so long about the misuse of funds and authority in UNRWA and this could be the moment where they get to just wipe the plate clean and rebuild, starting with financial accountability. I think people get what we're dealing with to an extent. People exactly. understand, yeah, that this is not normal, what's been going on here. We have to achieve our goals, and we have to have realistic objectives, and we have to be able to meet them, and that's not simple. I think that we have this unique window of opportunity today, and that even with this issue of UNRWA, where people, we bring evidence, people take, countries take action. That should be a bit reassuring that we're not out this doing this alone right now. I agree. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited time subscription special. A 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually. One year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com. All one word. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, let's finish up with the hostages that don't know it's not that they remain top of mind for so many Israelis. Mm -hmm. We're so past that. It's desperate. We both know it's discussed quite widely in Israel that out of the 136 that remain in captivity, probably nowhere near that many remain alive. And they have to get out. They simply cannot continue to live yeah. in these horrific circumstances. They have elderly men if they're still alive. They have young women who we know are being habitually sexually abused, which is something that Israelis have known for months, but it's finally just come out into the open because people are just so tired not saying it. 
to protect what? As many hostage families are asking, what are we protecting? It's not stopping and they're not out. Talk a bit and then we're going to close for today about this new three-point plan. I call it the Wall Street Journal plan. I think that's where it was first published. This new three-point plan that's being much ballyhooed and what the main points are and if and what it does for Israel. Look, there's a plan on the table. We know that we've been winding down. We know that we have another 136 hostages who are still there. Estimates are that a couple dozen are probably not alive anymore, but we don't know for sure what exactly those numbers are. With that said, we have an obligation. I totally agree with everything you just said that we have to get them home and, and it's time. Enough. It's enough already. Yeah. The heart breaks, literally rips apart every time we think about this. And therefore, we need to get them back. But the, the plan on the table speaks of a multi-phase plan that will see first stage, a month ceasefire, the release of the elderly, the women, and the wounded. Second stage, another month, we'll see the release of the men and the age of uh, military, who are the people who are of military age, whatever that means, right? People in their 20s and their 30s, and of course, soldiers. What the Americans are pushing for this is because they see this as a two-month ceasefire that is not yet permanent, but could lead to additional diplomatic action that could lead to a permanent ceasefire and pull us all away from the cusp of regional war and widening conflict like in the north. Israel, I think most Israelis would support this because we would hopefully get back our people, which is what we need to get back. The problems here are many. One is and I say this is the smaller issue, is the release of prisoners. We're going to have to release many thousands to get back our people. But let's say we can all agree that's what's needed. But the bigger problem is that Hamas remains standing. And the leadership of Hamas remains intact. And they remain, according to what has come out until now, they remain inside Gaza. They are not exiled. That means that Hamas is still in charge of the Gaza Strip. Now, to an extent, is there a diplomatic move to insert the Palestinian Authority into Gaza and try to have them take the reins over the reconstruction? I'm not sure. Israel, anyhow, is against that. And with Hamas still standing, I don't know that the PA is going to want to jump at it. So we, to some extent, we might be falling back into the conceptions of prior to October 7th that will tell ourselves stories of how they're deterred, they're degraded, they're weakened, we won. We got back our people, but they're still there, which means the job is not done. So do we renew the war after the two months? Do we do pinpointed operations afterwards? What happens? Don't yet know. I think that these are some of the big questions that this government, which has not really been very revealing and forthcoming, will have to start to tell us. But even the, they, Hamas would still retain some of the hostages, right? They would not let out all of the hostages. I think um, that's the right. That's something that's up in the air, exactly how that's going to play out. Right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was unclear whether or not the female soldiers would be part of it. I have my own view as to whether I think any of those women will ever be let out alive. But they have the same issue with the men because apparently there's been quite rampant sexual assault of the men in custody as well. Yeah. Those bodies are evidence and Hamas doesn't want that evidence to leave. See. I was reading a very respected Israeli commentator last night who is not either right or left, in my view, very moderate, who was saying about this plan, anyone who thinks that this is even remotely viable simply is not paying attention to what is going on in Israel. There is not a single Israeli you will find 
who thinks it's in any way reasonable to start talking about a two-state plan or some kind of co-governance with Hamas or the Palestinian Authority. And I think I'll leave it at that because I would have to say that I feel exactly, it's just, what are you shoving down my throat now? You can't. Do you understand what's going on here? Yako, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Vivian. Thank you. Sure you have a busy day. We look forward to next Sunday. Have a great week. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv.